Aren't you thankful there's nothing that will overcome the Lord? He's victorious, and he always wins. Now, this morning, I tried to get the text right on the screen, okay? It's been double-checked. It's right, all right? That's where we're going this morning if you join me in Galatians and chapter 2. Galatians in chapter 2. I'm going to turn on the live stream. And uh, <laughs> you all were so patient with me last week as I messed up the text. And I didn't hear a thing about it till I got home. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I said, wow, they are a very patient crowd. Galatians and chapter 2. If anybody was wondering, last week we were in chapter 5, all right? Now we're in chapter 2 in verse 20. Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul goes on and says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ came and we get to celebrate his resurrection this morning? If you're thankful for that he died for you, would you say amen? amen? I am so thankful that he died for us. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Would you join together with me in prayer? And ask, let's ask God to use his word to help us this morning to open our eyes. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and giving of yourself and dying on the cross for our sins. We pray that you would meet with us right now, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be transformed by the power of the word of God. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in our hearts this morning. We just thank you for how you've continued to stir and move in our hearts. We pray that you would finish the work that you've begun. And on this Sunday, Lord, that we might draw our eyes and our ears to heaven, and we might hear what you would have for us to hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell you, Easter Sunday is such a wonderful time each year where we can reflect on the marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that is greater than our sins. He arose as a victor and today we celebrate his victorious life. You know, death precedes life. Suffering precedes glory. Hebrews 2, in verse, 12 and verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction against sinners, against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Every time we think that we got some trial in life that's big, isn't it nice to remember that Jesus Christ gave his all, how much he suffered, how much he bled and died, and I believe we really see it for what it is. It draws our attention to heaven and it helps us to see Jesus Christ and to draw into his presence. The Bible says we can become wearied, we can become, uh, we can faint in our minds and that happens if we forget to look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It has been said that without his tears there is no comfort, without his death no life, without his blood there is no pardon, without his cross there is no crown. Without his shame, there is no glory. Without his grief, there is no joy. Without his stripes, there is no healing. Without his cross, there is no crown. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have church every Sunday because Christ arose. We can walk in his victory this week. And all God's people said, Amen. we can walk in victory, he says. 
See, he's the living, giving Savior. He loves to empower, and he's the amazing Savior. Don't you know Christ the Lord? He wants you to walk in victory. The Bible says, Hebrews 7, verse 25, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Jesus gave everything so we could experience new life. Walking in freedom and the freedom of a close relationship with God. And this Easter morning, let's draw our attention to the living, giving Savior who loves us, who died for our sins, and without his tears there is no comfort, but thank God for the gift that he provided. If you would look here in verse 20, the gift that he provided. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. We can't live the Christian life in our own strength. You know, you often maybe have heard, you know, it's just really impossible to live. It's impossible to live as a Christian. God's expectations are too high. That's right. Because the expectations God has for us are only possible through the power of the Spirit of Christ. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Paul recognized it was only through the dead life that he could live the alive life. He says, Christ liveth in me. And he says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He says, who loved me? And then he says, who gave? Who gave himself for me? The gift provided. The gift provided. Have you ever thought of something, uh, how kind a gift was? Maybe somebody gave you a gift and you can't stop talking about it. Somebody gave you a gift. You got a gift like that? Somebody gave you something every time that you come over, somebody comes over and visits you at your house. Maybe you sh this is the gift you show off. You say, somebody gave me this. It's the gift that you say, wow, that gift was an awesome gift. It's so, it's so thoughtful of them to give it to me. Jesus Christ, his gift, coming and dying for all of humanity who had rejected him, was a far greater gift than the gift our friends has given to us. I tell you, his gift is greater than any human gift, knowing how bad our sin would be. Knowing that we would kick him in his side, knowing that we would... Reject him, yet he still came and died for us. And Resurrection Sunday is still special today because our hope is found in Jesus. Easter's not about getting, even though we're going to have some candy for the kids. It's about the one who gave his all. The gift provided. The gift provided. I'm so thankful that he gave. Aren't you thankful he gave? He gave his all. He literally laid down his life for us. If you've done much farming and you've observed much of the farming around here, when you take that soil and you turn that soil over, as I did a few days ago, there's a process that goes, that happens, and that soil just willingly flopped over. It just willingly went. It willingly submitted. And you know, the Bible talks about us being like soil and how that we have to let God use his word to till up our hearts. And that's what the preaching of God's word does and the reading of God's word. We let God's word come into our heart and till up the soil. And as God's word tills, God's word tills our, our heart. The Bible also uses the analogy of God's word being seed, so it grows. God's word also uses the analogy of how his word is like water. So God's word does everything necessary in our life to produce fruit. He tills it up. By his word, 
he, he plants the seed of his word, the seed of faith in our hearts where we say, you know what, I'm going to trust. And then the water, we continually allow him to saturate our life. The gift provided. Aren't you thankful Jesus allowed himself to be willingly laid down for us? It was a gift. And his gift showed compassion for the guilty. Romans 5 and verse 7 speaks of this. For a good man some would die, but Christ commanded his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Would any of you die for somebody that rejects you? Would you die for somebody that just spit in your face? Somebody that just ruined your reputation? Somebody that just stole from you? Would you die for them? Yet God did for us. A compassion for the guilty. Compassion for the guilty. Aren't you thankful that he had compassion on you? You say, I wasn't guilty. My friend, until we realized we were guilty, we can't find salvation. It's by realizing that we were guilty, that we are guilty, and apart from grace, we don't deserve his favor. I heard of a scene that happened in the San Diego Superior Court. Two men were on trial for armed robbery, and there was an eyewitness in the stand, and the eyewitness uh, was there, and the prosecutor carefully asked him and said, So, you say you were at the scene when the robbery took place? Yes. And you saw a vehicle leave at a high rate of speed? Yes. Did you observe the occupants? Yes, two men. And the prosecutor boomed. Are these two men present in court today? And at this point, the two defendants sealed their fate as they raised their hands. <laughs> My friend, whether we want to raise our hand or not, we're guilty. And we're guilty before God. And oftentimes, we like to say, no, I'm not guilty. I'm not guilty. Lord, I'm not guilty. I, don't, I didn't do anything wrong. Lord, it was just a white lie. Lord, it was just one bad thought. Lord, it, I just, I know I told him a lie, but Lord, everybody lies. Lord, I, I know, Lord, I, I say I'm a Christian, but I don't read the Bible. But, you know, everybody struggles with it. My friend, a sign that we are a child of God is that we love this book. A sign that we're a child of God is that we love this book and love his house. That's a sign that we are a child of God. And if there's no, I tell you, whatever we like, we'll spend time doing. If we like the internet, if we like some game, we'll spend time on that. Isn't it amazing we've got time for everything that's important to us? And thank God he loves us even when we're guilty. We're guilty, we do not deserve his favor, yet he still loves us. We are all guilty before God, but God who is rich in mercy, while we are yet sinners, sent Christ to redeem our souls. The gift has been provided. By grace, the Bible says, are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves? It is the gift of God, not of works. My friend, it's by surrendering to Jesus Christ. Compassion for the guilty. Also, it's a commitment to the believing. The gift that he gave, he made a commitment to those who will believe on his name. Verse uh, if you would go with John chapter 2, let's look in John chapter 2 and notice and see what the Bible says about this, his commitment that he made. John 2 in verse 18. 2.18. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou dost these things? Jesus answering said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building. Wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed on his name when they saw the miracles which he did. So it says in this passage, Jesus, Jesus did miracles and many believed. Why did they believe? Because they what? They saw what he was doing. They saw the miracles. By the way, a lot of people will believe in us. A lot of people are going to want to come to our church if they see that we're doing great things. Okay, But that's not true faith. That's faith in, in what is seen. Faith operates in the realm of the invisible. And see, Jesus in verse 24 says, Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he, what does it say? Knew all men and needed not that any man should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Compassion for the guilty, but now we see he's got a commitment to the believing. Jesus didn't commit himself to these. He committed himself to his disciples, but he knew the, many of these who saw the miracles were not going to follow him because the only reason they were following him, him is for what they were receiving from him. And see, true faith doesn't come to Christ saying, Lord, I want you to give me a better life. If you give me a better life, then I'll follow you. True faith comes to Christ and says, Lord, I deserve nothing. I need you. And Lord, I surrender. I can't do it on my own. I believe you died for me. And I surrender. Lord, I don't need anything. Just like the prodigal son. I don't deserve one thing. I just want to come back in the Father's presence. See, Jesus didn't commit himself because he knew all men. He didn't commit himself to these specific ones. But he committed himself to those who believed. Jesus knows who will believe. And he was committed to his purpose. He knew who would trust him, who would follow him. And only God would keep loving and keep giving when, uh, and keep committing himself when he knew how frail and how weak humans are. Aren't you thankful he loves us even though we're weak? Only believe, only believe, all things are possible, only believe. See, faith is the key that unlocks the door to our life. Will you learn to pray this year? Not just for the emergencies, but I mean praying and walking with God. Not just for uh, because something happened, some crazy experience. Oh, please pray for me. We ought to have a prayer walk that's deeper than that. The strength of our belief is as strong as the object of our faith. You know how you can stay strong in church? By loving this book without anybody prodding you to love it. Because, my friend, what if all those who you know, who know Jesus Christ, what if, happens, what if the same thing happens to us that happened to generations gone by? where they got locked up for their faith. What if that happens? Like it's happening right now in China. Like, if it, hap like it happens, like it's happening in other parts of the world, in India, and in, in many Muslim countries, where right now people are being locked up and killed for their faith. The leaders are being destroyed for their faith. Who's going to keep you motivated to walk with God if you don't have a walk with God before that, right? The, the walk with God does not ought to depend on somebody pushing us. We ought to be able to get, get where we come and we grow by the word of God. And the longer we're in the faith, the longer we ought to yearn after the things of God. Because we realize that all the vanity of vanities, as, as Solomon said, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Life is vanity without Christ. The end of the matter, the conclusion of the matter, Solomon said, is fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And so Solomon, the wisest man, he 
wandered from the word of God a little bit in his life. Got messed up with a bunch of foolish things he should not have messed himself up with. And at the very end, he says, here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his word, keep his commandments. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will, what does he say? Keep my commandments. So part of a manifestation that we know Christ is that we commit to follow him. He's committed to follow us. I mean, to, to, to lead us. And we ought to commit to follow him. Aren't you thankful that he's committed? You put your faith in Christ, he's committed to you. He, he which hath begun a good work in you, the Bible says, will perform it. So he wants to continue. He's committed. He's not going to give up. But then why do we give up on him so easy? Could it be that we become dissatisfied with grace because we've not yet tasted and seen that the Lord is good? A commitment to the believing. Would you ask yourself today, have I come to Christ simply for a benefit? Or have I come to him in believing faith, trusting in the finished work of Christ? Secondly, this morning, we see the empowered life. Not only do we have a, a gift provided, but we have the life empowered. Verse 20, Paul says in Galatians 5, he says in verse 20, Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. God's power is concentrated. Have any of you had the same problem I have had? Where you go to buy bleach, and you buy bleach that's not powerful enough to get the job done. Many witnesses like that. You have bleach that's not powerful enough, you know what I mean? There's the best kind of bleach. You know what it's called? Outdoor bleach. That stuff is like honey. You pour it out, it's thick. If you want to bleach the outside of a house, if you want to remove the algae, 10% of that with water... It will cut it straight off with a little bit of soap. It will cut it straight off every time. But if I take that cheap bleach that they sell, and uh, I say it's cheap, actually it's more expensive, but it's really cheap because it's watered down bleach. And this bleach, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's industrial bleach. It's supposed to work, it says, but that stuff's been watered down, and it's basically worthless to cleanse in that way. Now, yes, it might cut down germs and bacteria, but it will not remove the algae and the fungus because it's not powerful enough. You realize that Jesus Christ is powerful enough to cut through any sin. He's not a bunch of watered-down bleach. He's not a bunch of TV special commercial. You put this substance on your bathtub and it will fix it, right? And then you realize, you know what? Sometimes just the old-fashioned products work sometimes better. And maybe you've bought some of those products and said, maybe this will work. And you realize it was a scam sometimes. Jesus Christ is not a scam, my friend. When we come to him in faith, and we come to him and we, we surrender to his cleansing process, God does a thorough job. Aren't you thankful for that? As many as believe on him, to them gives he, gives he the power, John says in John 1.12, to become the sons of God. The life empowered. Has Jesus ever failed? No. Has he ever quit? Has he ever become discouraged? But if we would be honest, much of the Christian life can be lived in a powerless stage, functioning but not thriving, simply existing but not empowered through the cross of Calvary. The life is empowered. The life is empowered through Christ. He says, nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ. You know, it's hard to lead others to the faith if the faith is not guiding our every decision in our life. You know, 
You know, if the faith doesn't guide our financial decisions, if the faith does not guide our family decisions, if the faith does not guide the way we spend our time, then how are we going to lead others to the faith if the faith we're not surrendering to its guidance? The life is empowered, Paul says. You think about Paul. Did Paul sacrifice a lot in his life? He sacrificed a ton. Did Paul, he said he allowed himself to be subjected to many things. And he said also that he beat his body into subjection. Paul, the Christian hero of the faith. You say God just allowed him to serve to great levels. He was just an experienced man. He, he just grew up in a Christian home. He had all, because he had all these benefits, that's why he turned out good. No, 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 my friend. Paul turned out the way he turned out because of the grace of God. And he says that he died daily. That was the mark Paul said, I die daily. Paul realized and understood this truth, the crucified life. He was willing to die. There's a preacher that's preached many times at the men's prayer events. And guys, isn't he good about the crucified life? And every time that he'll preach on that, he'll preach a different message. And that's the focus of all of his, uh, his ministries on the crucified life. And I have heard so many powerful truths from him in the messages he's preached, and the things that he shared about how God allowed him to be completely broken. God allowed him to experience a child of his, having one of his own children having a child out of wedlock, and how that helped him, and how that as a pastor helped him to draw near to Jesus Christ, and how that helped him to find power in the gospel, and how that helped him to recognize, and he even adopted that child. And brought that child into his home. You know, you talk about that. He choose, chose to, he realized his daughter was not able to take care of that child. And he adopted that child into his own home. And they raised that child. And now that child is being called, I believe, to be a preacher and serve God. Why? Because the daddy was willing to die. Die to what people were going to say about him. Die to his own reputation. And was willing to understand this truth. The empowered life. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. This empowered life is really about a complete control. A complete control. He says, I live, no, not I, but Christ. When people look at our lives, would they say, that's Jesus right there. That's Jesus living. Or would they say, hmm, still looks like our name. Would they see that there is a newness because Christ has come inside I submit to you this morning, when Christ is living inside, he leaves evidence on the outside. Would you say that together with me? When Christ is living inside, he leaves evidence on the outside. Let's say that a little bit louder like we mean it. Ready? When Christ is living inside, he leaves evidence on the outside. He says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The empowered life. Ephesians 1.22 speaks of this. Everywhere Christ went, he was in control. He was not afraid of anything. I'm going to read that for you, Ephesians 1.22. It says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He goes on in verse chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened, the word quickened means to make alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He says there was a different way that we lived. Verse 4, he says, God who was rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead together in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace 
are, he says, by grace ye are saved. See, the grace of God is what saves the soul. Does fear still control you? Are you still afraid? Are you still bound by family problems and financial problems and health needs? Is that a focus of your life? Complete control. He that feareth is not, it says, is made perfect in love. He that feareth is made perfect, feareth not, is made perfect in love. So God wants to take away our fears and surrender them to Christ. God's in complete control. The Christ who died on Calvary offers the Holy Spirit to dwell within the believer. A complete control. You know, there's a lot of things trying to steal our control today, aren't there? You look around you today, and if you listen to uh, the great doctor who uh, is the most wealthy doctor in the nation, right? His opinions continually change. I think everybody just started feeling a little bit more free, so he just recommended that everybody inside wear a what? All right? Because that sounds like a good idea. Why? Because everybody all of a sudden started coming, coming out of their shell just a little bit, started feeling a little bit more free. We don't want you to be free. We want you to be in bondage to our system, ultimately, which will lead to the mark of the beast. And so that is the end goal. If you listen to their agenda, that is the end goal. And they are just preparing. They are preparing for the end, for a one-world government. That is the plan. See, in the same way that you say, man, that sounds so scary, don't we willingly surrender to our flesh instead of resisting the flesh often, right? And so God says in the same way that we would surrender to a government often out of compliance or fear of being fined, in the same way we ought to surrender to God in a far greater way because we love him, a complete control. Paul said he lived, but he didn't live in his own strength. He lived by the power of Christ. Who's giving you power today? If it's our own flesh, we're weak. But if it's the power of God, there is strength in our weakness. God is in complete control. The Christ who died on Calvary offers the Holy Spirit to indwell every believer. And if we are fully surrendered to Christ, fully trusting in Christ, then everything's in his control. Right? I mean, does God operate the sun? Does it spin perfectly? Do we know where the sun's going to be 10 years from now? According to solar calculations, do we know? Yes or no? According to these calculations, do we know uh, even when the next leap year will happen? Do we know? Why is it that we can't trust God's word about basic things in life when we see that he allows it to literally, it says, be held on nothing? God suspends the entire universe and it operates perfectly and we say, Lord, I'm not sure if you can manage my life. Right? I'm not sure if I want to let you manage my life. I know that, I see that, you know, for the last, we study back in history, the last 4,000 years, I see everything's been operating ever since the flood. Pretty good, pretty much according to the days and the times and the seasons. And we can see this and you can see the documentation and we can study history and we can see how it all operates. But my life, Lord, I think I know best. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? And the Bible says that's what we do. And so we literally stiff arm our maker and say, Lord, you know, Lord, I think I can control my life better. And he says, no, I am in control. I want you to surrender to my control. You say, but God allowed something to happen in my life that was just unbelievable. You know, I, there was times in my life where it took me a few years to recognize, you know what, that God meant that for my good. 
Have you got to the place where you realized God meant that for your good? I mean, Lord, why did you allow my 15-year-old sister to run away from home? And now my family leaves the state of Maine in a big flurry and went down to Georgia. And my parents were frazzled and they didn't know what to do. Why did God do that to put us in a place where we would be under some strong gospel preaching? And I wouldn't be here today if it wouldn't have been for that. See, sometimes we could get focused. You could say, well, the, the person involved, and there were some people involved that I could have blamed, and for a while I think we did. But you know what, my friend? At the end of the day, God allows certain situations. And I remember some very traumatic situations that happened. And I remember uh, those things happening and they were so scary as a little child experiencing those things, uh, being around some of those things. But you know what, my friend? God allows you to experience things so you can later look back on it and say, wow, um, now life isn't that hard. Because I look in the Bible and say, wow, they went through far greater trials than I've ever experienced. The Bible says they were sawn asunder for their faith. I haven't experienced that in my family. My parents didn't experience that. My siblings haven't experienced that. The Bible says that they were, they were stoned. They had literally had rocks thrown at them for their faith. It hasn't happened in my family yet. Has that happened in your family? So the trials that they experienced were far greater than the trials that you or I have experienced in recognizing God is in complete control. And our situation may seem extremely big, but you know what? He is in complete control. Control. You say, how could God allow that to happen? I ask you one simple question. How could a holy God allow his son, his innocent son, to be beaten on a cross? One reason. Love. He loved us. He allowed him to be beaten by people who hated him. Religious people, mind you. Beaten beyond recognition, allowed the beard to be pulled from his side being pulled from his face, allowed a spear to be thrust in his side, allowed him to be hanging there on a cross, thrown into a grave, and three days later he rose up victorious, my friend, and today we celebrate that. He is in complete control. And the disciples, I think, were, think, were during that time wondering, hey, what happened to Jesus? He said he was going to rise from the dead. He allowed himself to willingly submit. He allowed all these things to happen. And my friend, when Christ is living inside. He leaves evidence on the outside. And there was complete change that happened on that day, on the resurrection day. He's in complete control. And did I not put the last one in there? That's when my, oh, well, you know what? I didn't put the last one in there. And uh, I had a little interruption, a little interruption, okay? Um, thank God he's in complete control. Let me give you letter B. Compelling communion. He's in, not only in complete control... But there is compelling communion that he offers. In John 16, verse 33, look at what Jesus says. John 16, if you would join me in your Bible, John 16, 33. Jesus says these words. He's asking us to fellowship with him. John 16, in verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me... Ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have, what does he say? You want to know why life's rough sometimes? That's what Jesus said would happen, tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
Now, by the way, the tribulation he's talking about there is not just the loss of a job, just a little bit of rebuttal at work. He's genuinely talking about people being killed for their faith. He's genuinely talking about people suffering for their faith, uh, being rejected. Uh, the things that we're seeing around the world in regards to others suffering for their faith, that's what he's talking about in this verse. He says, the world, in the world you shall have tribulation, but he says, be of good cheer. You said that does not sound good, Jesus. It's tough. He says, I have overcome the world. Aren't you thankful he's victorious? And today he's victorious. A compelling communion. Christ is the victor and he longs to empower his children. And that empowerment comes through our communion with him. When you spend time with somebody who is a joyful person, what do you wind up getting after you spend time with them? You get a little bit of what? You spend time with a peaceful person and you leave that time and you, say, you have a little bit of what? You spend time with a person who is patient. And you leave that time being motivated to be a little more? Ought to be the same with Jesus. They took evidence that they had been with Jesus. When we're spending time with him, he empowers us to live a different way. And he says, you're going to have peace. Why? Because of my word. My friend, if you don't have peace in your heart, it's because you need to put your faith in Christ. And the Lord wants to give us that fellowship with him. The fellowship means that there's something common or shared together. And God wants us to fellowship. And that fellowship with him must be happening first before we can fellowship with one another. The fellowship with one another is sweet only because this fellowship is sweet with the Father. And we don't want to be a social club. Instead, we want to be a place where people are being compelled to follow Jesus Christ. I believe when we fully comprehend the gift of God and the power that is available to us, it compels us to desire God. It compels us to desire God. God never gives diluted power. The life found through Calvary is more powerful than any medicine or machine. And when God works, there's no denying his power. Why don't you this morning with me ask the Lord, Lord, would you once again rend the heavens and come down? And Lord, just like you did in the Bible days, would you just pour out your spirit upon us? Lord, we want to have your power. We want to have an empowered life, the crucified life is the empowerment in that life. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Aren't you thankful for the gift? This morning, why don't we surrender and say, Lord Jesus, would you help me? I want to live the empowered life. Lord, I need help. Lord, I need strength. Maybe you have uh, repented. I ask you today, who are you living for? Have you repented of your sin and are you have you received his gift of eternal life? You must be born again, Jesus said. And then are you living an empowered life by the Spirit of God? Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Would you ask yourself an honest question? Are others more compelled to follow Jesus because of my life or less compelled? May it be true of each of us that we drew other men to the Master because, why? Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And maybe this morning we just want to ask the Lord, Lord, help me that I might live in your power. Help me that I might find your grace. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 and verse 6, he said that. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And Jesus today is ready to receive you if you do not know him as your Savior. You say, how do I put my faith in Jesus Christ? You simply come to him recognizing you are a sinner. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Recognizing that He is the Savior, God commendeth, God showed His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you come to Christ, and you come to Him, and you ask Him to forgive you. You recognize He's the Savior, you're a sinner, He's the Savior, and you put your faith in the fact that He died for you, and you ask Him to come into your life. You ask Him to cleanse your heart. You ask Him to forgive you. And the Bible says that He gives the power to those who believe on His name to become the sons of God. Don't try to live at your own strength another day. Live in the power of the gospel. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe as a believer right here, you just, with your pastor, you just lift your hand and say, you know what, I need the grace of God to live in the empowered life. I want the power of Christ in my life. And this morning, I want to just ask God to give me that power again, that fresh power. As a believer, you lift your hand and just say, I want the power of Christ. Would you lift your hand to the God who sees and knows? Amen. I want the power of Christ. Anyone else? I want the power of Christ in my life. Amen. Amen. I want the power of Christ in my life today. We're going to be closing out the live stream. Thank you each for watching my wave live stream. And in this moment of invitation, the piano is going to begin to play. And I'm going to ask you to do something that you maybe have not done in a while. As the piano just begins to play the first few notes, would you step out of your seat? And would you come right down forward and just, would you kneel here and pray? Would you say, Lord, help me? For me, often, friends, that has been the deciding factor. I stepped right out and I came down and that's when God met with me. Maybe this morning you need to come down and just meet with the Lord right here in prayer. Would you step out of your seat? You lift your hand. Would you just step out of your seat? Would you come down and pray? Would you ask the Lord to meet with you? Would you ask the Lord to give you the empowered life? Lord, work in my life. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need your power. I want to have that power of the gospel. As Paul experienced it, I want to have it.